0: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It would come as probably no surprise to anyone in this room that I was in a Starbucks not long ago. Uh, While I was there, The guy walked in and there was just a huge crowd. Parking lot was full. The drive up line was full. Inside the Starbucks, there was just this great big long line and as this fellow walked in, he looked around and said, oh, for heaven's sakes, don't any of these people have a life? (laughs) And turned to leave and go get coffee elsewhere when he was grabbed by the elbow by his wife and at that moment Judy said, Pastor Bill, you're going to have to learn to be a little more patient. (laughs) I mean, really. I really couldn't tell you what happened to that five-year-old who knew how to wait so skillfully. As I get older, I have a harder time waiting. I want everything now. I don't know if I've been coached into it by our culture which is instant and microwave, or if it's just that I sense my own clock running out and I want to get to things before I, I have more list than bucket left. I don't know. It's harder to wait sometimes. I was thinking this week about my undergraduate studies in art at the University of Redlands, and one of the classes that we took was in um, ancient... Uh, Eastern art, we looked at these incredible pieces that were produced by people in a 5,000-year-old culture. Um, One of the things that uh, fascinated me were these things that were, they may have had some ceremonial or religious use. They were called Kongs, and they were basically a small square made of jade. And inside that square, if you held it up on end, there was a perfect circle drilled all the way through. Most of them were about yay yay size on end and about yay tall, some of them even smaller. Now the way these were produced, apparently, is that the craftsmen would take a little bit of graphite powder and some water and some leather wrapped on the end of a stick and then slowly grinding one of the hardest substances known to humans, would begin to drill. Some of these jade pieces are so perfect in their construction that you could actually put a candle inside and light would show through. And the outside of them is intricately carved and decorated. They're extraordinary. But the thing that really left me just with my mouth hanging open, was that it was typical, they said, for a master craftsman to start one of these pieces and work on it his entire life, one piece his entire life, and hand it off to his hand-selected protege. And this process repeated three or four times before the piece was completed. And none of the craftsmen who inherited the piece and made it their life's work, changed one bit of the design. They simply received it, did their life's part, and handed it on to someone else. Honestly, if you're ever looking for a definition of humility, I think that's it. Somehow this culture, which was 3,000 years before the time of Christ, had figured out That there are things in our lives that are bigger than all of us. And that it's a privilege to work on these things. Not a duty, not an onus, but just an absolute privilege. Something beautiful and perfect and wonderful. As fragile as a baby bird is is coming to life beneath our hands. And it's our privilege to just take our part in it. Why am I talking about this? Because in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, we have this incredible call passage. Now, I know what you're thinking. The call passage in Isaiah is actually in chapter 6. The year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord in his temple high and lifted up, and the smoke of his train filled the temple. And I heard a voice cry, here I am. And I said, all right, who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah 6. And we take that as the call of the prophet Isaiah, but here in Isaiah 40, we have another call story. And most scholars have taken to saying that this was written by an anonymous person who was in the school of Isaiah who had been carried into captivity in ancient Babylon when the city of Jerusalem fell, and then in that captivity heard the voice of the Lord again. It's a second They call this whole section of the Bible Second Isaiah. It starts in Isaiah 40. And this is written in a different perspective than Isaiah 6. You ever, you know, we sing the song, Here I am, Lord, it is I, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night. We, we sing all about the call story in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Who will go for me? Here I am. And the Lord touched my lips and said you know you are now anointed to go and preach. If you just read a few verses further, what Isaiah was told to preach will make your hair stand on end if you had some. Um, because what the Lord said to Isaiah is, I want you to preach the easy, comfortable message. Tell the people what they want to hear. If they squawk, give them what they want. Give them... A spoonful of sugar, heck, give them a half a cup of sugar. Just tell them what they want to hear. Because, he told Isaiah, I'm about to judge them. I'm in the hallway and I'm about to open the door. And I don't want them to repent until I am finished judging them. It makes you think twice about saying, here I am, Lord, send me. When you hear a message like that, just keep preaching what they want to hear, because I am not ready to let them off the hook. Hmm. Isaiah raised his hand and said, "Uh, Lord, how long do you want me to keep preaching like this? And God said, I'm going to cut down the tree. I'm going to take off all the suckers. I'm going to cut it right down to the stump. And when the stump is there, I'm going to burn the stump too. So there's nothing left. You can understand why Isaiah may have been a little discouraged at that point. His job was to go out and preach exactly what everybody wanted to hear so that God could get through sifting Israel like wheat. And then God said, whatever grows after I've burned the stump, they won't be able to say that it was anything other than the hand of God that did it. And so the Babylonians came, and Jerusalem fell, and the temple was destroyed, and the gates of the city were burned, and the walls pulled down, and the best and the brightest the most stellar scholars, scientists, artists, singers, musicians that Israel had were carried off to sit at the feet of the king Nebuchadnezzar and to do everything at the pleasure of the foreign king. You want to know what it was like? Turn to that psalm that says, but how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It's like God put them in the timeout chair. Hey, go to your room for how long? till I call you back out." In one generation, two generations, three generations, four generations, were kept there in exile, crafting the most beautiful piece of theological jade the world has ever seen. What emerged from the ghettos of Babylon was the understanding that the spirit of God's own self is what's driving this train. It's not the land we live in, it's not the book we hold in our hand, it's not the beautiful decorations or the the emotional ups and downs that we have, but it's the nature of God's own self that is our salvation. And so after three or four hundred years in captivity, not that long, but a few generations, the word comes to Isaiah again. This time God is having a conversation in the heavens. Comfort, oh comfort my people. Speak to them that the door to the room is open, the timeout is over, they can come out, it's time to play, it's time to hug, and do you remember, friends, do you remember the feeling of your parents' arms around you when the transgression was forgiven and the reconciliation occurred? Do you remember? There's no greater feeling on earth. My parents set a boundary. I stepped through it, I broke the fence down, They had to repair the fence and it's right that they should do so because I will not be able to live in the world where I don't have those boundaries but now that I have learned the hard lesson we can sit down and break bread again at the table and we're in fellowship and the love of God the love of my parents the love of a family is intact once more. In fact, we learn that it was never disrupted just another expression of God's love. Are you with me? Now, we know Isaiah 40 most familiarly from Handel's Messiah, the very ending of our passage today. He shall lead his flock like a shepherd. We know Isaiah 40 most familiarly from the end of the chapter. For those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not go faint. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, those who wait upon the Lord. But I think we need to pay the attention that we needs to be paid to the first part of Isaiah 40. The part where it talks about what we are waiting for. When we mount up with wings like eagles, when we run and don't grow weary, when we walk and not grow faint, what is it that is causing all of this? It's the hand of God moving among us. We're waiting for God to move. And the Word of God, the gracious Word of God, the exceptional Word of God, the surprising Word of God is that when the hand of God moves, it's not going to be this time with a word of judgment, but with a word of comfort. Comfort, oh comfort my people. The discomforted of this world when they wait for God's hand to move. When they don't fly out. When they don't sneak from their bed to peek under the tree before before it's Christmas morning. When they pay attention to the seasons and the times and they wait upon the Lord. When God's hand moves, it moves with comfort. Not for just me and not for just you, but for all of God's people. For all of us. We are waiting in a world that is filled with darkness. We are waiting for God's light to be revealed to all people. No wonder when Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, He chose part of Isaiah to say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives, to take into account all the people that are struggling and suffering in this world and to say these are the ones God, who, whom God has a heart for. And so because God has a heart for them, we have a heart for them too. We raise up our eyes and we see the inbreaking of a mysterious kingdom that was begun in Christ, invisible to most eyes, and is breaking in on the world. We are citizens of that kingdom. We await its fulfillment. This season of Advent is not about tearing off paper chains until Christmas gets here. It's about creating theological jade in our hearts until Christ's kingdom is fulfilled. Hmm. A story is told of a man who came by a little field where there were these three men cutting blocks of. English granite from a rock face. And they were spaced out as he went along the path. He could see each one of them. He said to the first one, what are you doing there? He said, oh, I've got to sit here in the hot sun and chip away at these ridiculous rocks all day long. I can't wait till 5 o'clock when I have time off. And the second one, he said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm breaking these rocks out of the." Thing and shaping them and they're going to be used for some kind of a building and I, I, I kind of try to make them all the same size so they'll build a good wall it's a worthy living it's not my favorite thing to do but it's a it's a living and he came to the third one and he said what are you doing here and the guy stopped chiseling for a minute sat back lifted up his face to the sky looked back down at the stone and he said I'm helping the bishop build a cathedral. And he smiled a big smile and went back to his work. As we are waiting on the Lord, is it dreary work? Is it a a living? Or are we building a cathedral? Are we able to find in ourselves that joyful experience of helping God bring His kingdom to pass. Now, friends, it may not happen in our lifetime. The return of Christ and the fulfillment of His reign may not exist. There may be many more generations to come. I don't know. But we have been given this gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ to share with our generation, to shine like a light in the darkness, to tell the world that is hurting right now and doesn't know what to do, comfort, oh, comfort my people, for the Lord has finished with the punishment and he is sending a straight way in this wilderness so that his son can make his way through. 500 years after the time of Isaiah, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, quoting Isaiah and saying, the peace is almost finished. All the craftsmen have kept it. And now we're putting on the finishing touches. Only one thing remains. For God to appear and show us all that we have been waiting for. Amen.